Hello and welcome to Coraline Chapter 11. Once inside, in her flat, or rather in the flat that was not hers, Coraline was pleased to see that it had not transformed into the empty drawing that the rest of the house seemed to have become. It had depth and shadows, and someone who stood in the shadows waiting for Coraline to return. So, you're back, said the other mother. She did not sound pleased, and you brought vermin with you. No, said Coraline, I brought a friend. She could feel the cat stiffening under her hands as if it were anxious to be away. Coraline wanted to hold on to it like a teddy bear for reassurance, but she knew that cats hate to be squeezed, and she suspected that frightened cats were liable to bite and scratch if provoked in any way, even if they were on your side. You know I love you, said the other mother flatly. You have a very funny way of showing it, said Coraline. She walked down the hallway, then turned into the drawing room, steady step by steady step, pretending that she could not feel the other mother's blank black eyes on her back. Her grandmother's formal furniture was still there, and the painting on the wall of the strange fruit, but now the fruit in the painting had been eaten, and all that remained in the bowl was the browning core of an apple, several plum and peach stones, and the stem of what had formerly been a bunch of grapes. The lion-pawed table raked the carpet with its clawed wooden feet as if it were impatient for something. At the end of the room, in the corner, stood the wooden door which had once, in another place, opened onto a plain brick wall. Coraline tried not to stare at it. The window showed nothing but mist. This was it, Coraline knew, the moment of truth, the unraveling time. The other mother had followed her in. Now she stood in the center of the room between Coraline and the mantelpiece and looked down at Coraline with black button eyes. It was funny, Coraline thought. The other mother did not look anything at all like her own mother. She wondered how she had ever been deceived into imagining a resemblance. The other mother was huge. Her head almost brushed the ceiling, and very pale, the color of a spider's belly. Her hair writhed and twined about her head, and her teeth were sharp as knives. Well, said the other mother sharply, where are they? Coraline leaned against an armchair, adjusted the cat with her left hand, put her right hand into her pocket, and pulled out the three glass marbles. They were a frosted gray, and they clinked together in the palm of her hand. The other mother reached her white fingers for them, but Coraline slipped them back into her pocket. She knew it was true then. The other mother had no intention of letting her go, or of keeping her word. It had been an entertainment, and nothing more. Hold on, she said, we aren't finished yet, are we? The other mother looked daggers, but she smiled sweetly. No, she said, I suppose not. After all, you still need to find your parents, don't you? Yes, said Coraline, I must not look at the mantelpiece, she thought. I must not even think about it. Well, said the other mother, produce them. Would you like to look in the cellar again? I have some other interesting things hidden down there, you know. No, said Coraline, I know where my parents are. The cat was heavy in her arms. She moved it forward, unhooking its claws from her shoulder as she did so. Where? It stands to reason, said Coraline. I've looked everywhere you'd hide them. They aren't in the house. The other mother stood very still, giving nothing away, lips tightly closed. She might have been a wax statue. Even her hair had stopped moving. So, Coraline continued, both hands wrapped firmly around the black cat, I know where they have to be. You've hidden them in the passageway between the houses, haven't you? They are behind that door. 
She nodded her head toward the door in the corner. The other mother remained statue still, but a hint of a smile crept back onto her face. Oh, they are, are they? Why don't you open it, said Coraline. They'll be there, all right. It was her only way home, she knew, but it all depended on the other mother's needing to gloat, needing not only to win, but to show that she had won. The other mother reached her hand slowly into her apron pocket and produced the black iron key. The cat stirred uncomfortably in Coraline's arms as if it wanted to get down. Just stay there for a few moments longer, she thought at it, wondering if it could hear her. I'll get us both home. I said I would. I promise. She felt the cat relax ever so slightly in her arms. The other mother walked over to the door and pushed the key into the lock. She turned the key. Coraline heard the mechanism clunk heavily. She was already starting, as quietly as she could, step by step, to back away toward the mantelpiece. The other mother pushed down on the door handle and pulled open the door, revealing a corridor behind it, dark and empty. There, she said, waving her hands at the corridor. The expression of delight on her face was a very bad thing to see. You're wrong. You don't know where your parents are, do you? They aren't there. She turned and looked at Coraline. Now, she said, you're going to stay here forever and always. No, said Coraline, I'm not. And hard as she could, she threw the black cat toward the other mother. It yowled and landed on the other mother's head, claws flailing, teeth bared, fierce and angry. Fur on end, it looked half again as big as it was in real life. Without waiting to see what would happen, Coraline reached up to the mantelpiece and closed her hand around the snow globe, pushing it deep into the pocket of her dressing gown. The cat made a deep, a, a deep, ululating yowl and sank its teeth into the other mother's cheek. She was flailing at it. Blood ran from the cuts on her white face. Not red blood, but a deep, tarry black stuff. Coraline ran for the door. She pulled the key out of the lock. Leave her! Come on! She shouted to the cat. It hissed and swiped its scalpel-sharp claws at the other mother's face in one wild rake, which left black ooze trickling from several gashes on the other mother's nose. Then it sprang down toward Coraline. Quickly, she said. The cat ran toward her, and they both stepped into the dark corridor. It was colder in the corridor, like stepping down into a cellar on a warm day. The cat hesitated for a moment. Then, seeing the other mother was coming toward them, it ran to Coraline and stopped by her legs. Coraline began to pull the door closed. It was heavier than she imagined a door could be, and pulling it closed was like trying to close a door against a high wind. And then she felt something from the other side starting to pull against her. "'Shut!' she thought." Then she said out loud, come on, please, and she felt the door begin to move, to pull closed, to give against the phantom wind. Suddenly, she was aware of other people in the corridor with her. She could not turn her head to look at them, but she knew them without having to look. Help me, please, she said, all of you. The other, the other people in the corridor, three children, two adults, were somehow too insubstantial to touch the door but their hands closed about hers as she pulled on the big iron door handle and suddenly she felt strong. Never let up, miss. Hold strong. Hold strong, whispered a voice in her mind. Pull, girl. Pull, whispered another. And then a voice that sounded like her mother's, her own mother, her real, wonderful, maddening, infuriating, glorious mother just said, well done, Coraline, and that was enough. The door started to slip closed, easily as anything.
No, screamed a voice from beyond the door, and it no longer sounded even faintly human. Something snatched at Coraline, reaching through the closing gap between the door and the doorpost. Coraline jerked her head out of the way, but the door began to open once more. We're going to go home, said Coraline. We are. Help me. She ducked the snatching fingers. They moved through her. They moved through her then. Ghost hands lent her strength that she no longer possessed. There was a final moment of resistance, as if something were caught in the door, and then, with a crash, the wooden door banged closed. Something dropped from Coraline's head height to the floor. It landed with a sort of a scuttling thump. Come on, said the cat. This is not a good place to be in. To be in. Quickly, Coraline turned her back on the door and began to run as fast as was practical through the dark corridor, running her hand along the wall to make sure she didn't bump into anything or get turned around in the darkness. It was an uphill run, and it seemed to her that it went on for a longer distance than anything could possibly go. The wall she was touching felt warm and yielding now, and she realized it felt as if it were covered in a fine, downy fur. It moved as if it were taking a breath. She snatched her hand away from it. Winds howled in the dark. She was scared she would bump into something, and she put out her hand for the wall once more. This time, what she touched felt hot and wet, as if she had put her hand in somebody's mouth, and she pulled it back with a small wail. Her eyes had adjusted to the dark. She could half see, as faintly glowing patches ahead of her, two adults, three children. She could hear the cat, too, padding in the dark in front of her. And there was something else, which suddenly scuttled between her feet, nearly sending Coraline flying. She caught herself before she went down, using her own momentum to keep moving. She knew that if she fell in that corridor, she might never get up again. Whatever that corridor was was older by far than the other mother. It was deep and slow, and it knew that she was there. Then daylight appeared, and she ran toward it, puffing and wheezing. Almost there, she called encouragingly, but in the light she discovered that the wraiths had gone, and she was alone. She did not have time to wonder what had happened to them. Panting for breath, she staggered through the door and slammed it behind her with the loudest, most satisfying bang you can imagine. Coraline locked the door with the key and put the key back into her pocket. The black cat was huddled in the farthest corner of the room, the pink tip of its tongue showing, its eyes wide. Coraline went over to it and crouched down beside it. I'm sorry, she said. I'm sorry I threw you at her, but it was the only way to distract her enough to get us all out. She would never have kept her word, would she? The cat looked up at her, then rested its head on her hand, licking her fingers with its sandpapery tongue. It began to purr. Then we're friends, said Coraline. She sat down on one of her grandmother's uncomfortable armchairs, and the cat sprang up into her lap and made itself comfortable. The light that came through the picture window was daylight, real golden late afternoon daylight, not a white mist light. The sky was a robin's egg blue, and Coraline could see trees, and beyond the trees, green hills which faded on the horizon into purples and grays. The sky had never seemed so sky. The world had never seemed so world. Coraline stared at the leaves on the trees and at the patterns of light and shadow on the cracked bark of the trunk of the beech tree outside the window. Then she looked down at her lap, at the way that the rich sunlight brushed every hair on the cat's head, turning each white whisker to gold. Nothing, she thought, had ever been so interesting. 
and caught up in the interestingness of the world, Coraline barely noticed that she had wriggled down and curled cat-like on her grandmother's uncomfortable armchair, nor did she notice when she fell into a deep and dreamless sleep. End of chapter 11. Okay, so discussion time. Um, I want to say that Coraline is a very clever character. Um, it's probably, sadly, her most redeeming quality in the novel. Uh, in the movie, I think I may have already discussed this, but they sought to make her much more interesting as a character. Um, they added more depth to her, more emotion, um, more varied reactions to the world around her. Uh, she even has, um, a neat little personality expression and the way that she has her hair colored. I mean, because really, I'm just going to say that's not her natural hair color. Her mother's hair is like a, almost a black. Her father's hair is this like reddish brown. And I know we didn't see any of any, any of her other family members. And it is a cartoon fictional world. Um, so she could have inherited blue hair, I guess, maybe. But to me, it just seems like, well, we do get to see a couple of other characters in that world that are human that don't have crazy colored hair. So I'm willing to bet that somehow, some way, her mom lets her dye her hair blue. <laughs> um, and uh, she wears her rain stuff for like half the movie. Then when she's not wearing that, she's wearing like this really cute outfit with um a blue turtleneck that has stars on it uh she has that dragonfly hair clip she has a lot of expression to her um representing her personality and who she is in the film that she does not have in the novelization but at least i can say that in both the film and the novelization she's a very clever character she's not stupid she sees right through the other mother uh, she can work these kinds of puzzles out real quick. Um, she's very quick-witted, I guess you could say, but maybe that's another word for clever. Um, and I like that very much about Coraline, in the book and in the film. Um, I'm trying to think something else I wanted to say. Uh, I also think it's equally clever that the other mother uh, hides things in the most unexpected places. I mean, okay, arguably it's a story written for a younger generation, so there's a chance that, you know, you could compare the other mother hiding the parents in a snow globe to, like, a kid playing with a coloring book where, you know, they have, like, a a page that has a game that's, like, find the different cat or find the different animal or whatever. And, you know, like, you could be looking and looking, but then, like, the difference is, like, one of them is missing a nose or something. It's something that's both very significant that's missing, but also so insignificant that you don't think, that you don't realize it at a first glance. And that's the way that the other mother has of hiding things. It's at least as far as the parents go, Coraline's parents, because she takes them and puts them, uh, I think, it, how do I explain this? 
physically they seem to be in a snow globe um, but ethereally they seem to be able to uh, show themselves like in mirror worlds and alongside Coraline in the corridor. It's a really weird thing that seems to be able to give her parents astral projection abilities <laughs> being hidden in that snow globe. Um, but yeah, it's a difference of there's a bare mantelpiece in the real world, but then in the other world, it has a snow globe on top of it. And that's just one, that's just the subtle minor difference that leads Coraline to realizing that, hey, my parents are in a snow globe. Um, and like I said, that's the same logic, the same reasoning as trying to find the different object or animal in a coloring book game. <laughs> um, so I guess it's not too detailed on that one. My favorite way that I was trying to get at about the other mother hiding things and trying to plan ahead against Coraline is the way that she hid the souls of the other children. Those are something... The way that she hid those is next level. That, that is above the coloring book game. Um, really, because really Coraline would never have been able to find them without the help of that stone. If she didn't have that stone from uh, Mrs. Spink and Forcible, she would have lost. She would have lost the game. It's, it's, it's amazing that Miss Spink and Miss Forcible knew enough about that stone to give it to her. It, it really makes you think uh, about how long they've been living in the flat, what experiences they've had. Um, that makes them kind of more interesting characters, actually. I hadn't thought about this before. This is actually amazing. I need to go, I need to go watch uh, those Coraline theory videos that pop up on YouTube and see if anybody else has thought of that to see if Miss Spink and Miss Forcible had also experienced the other mother and survived. Or something like her, anyway. And had just forgotten, because, you know, they're, they're getting senile. They're in their old age. But yet they had this stone lying around and could give it to Coraline. Um, yeah, that, that's really interesting. One wonders if, okay, since uh, Wyborn wasn't in the novel, you know how in the movie... Um, it's his grandmother who had lost a sister and had ex an experience with the other mother. But that's not a thing in the novel. In the novel, Wyborn doesn't exist, and we don't even know if his grandmother owns the Pink Palace. So it could actually be Mrs. Spink and Forcible who had an experience with the other mother in the novel instead of Wyborn's grandmother. That is some crazy stuff. That is a crazy alternate Coraline idea, theory, I think, excuse me, and actually it kind of makes me regret having Wyborn in the film, <laughs> I mean, no, I love him as a character, don't get me wrong, but it just makes more sense for Mrs. Spink and Forcible to even know anything about the powers of that stone if they had been the ones to have and survive the experience with the other mother instead of Wyborn's own grandmother. I mean, because it's not as if in the film they had Wyborn's grandmother um, give Coraline the stone. 
Uh, instead, what it is is apparently, and I just realized this doesn't exist in the book either, that doll that serves as a spy to watch for the other mother uh, is not in the book. <laughs> um, and it's also that doll that came from Wyborn's grandmother down to Coraline. So, like, I just realized that the doll and Wyborn and Wyborn's grandmother were all sledgehammered into the Coraline story. For kind of no reason. I mean, y'all can disagree with me on this, and maybe I'm wrong, but... I mean, I'm a big fan of the book, so to me it seems like there's no literal reason to have those characters there. Maybe Wyborn is justified just on the fact that he uh, provides Coraline with some interesting, um, some interesting occurrences that, you know, enable the audience to empathize with her, um, see her have these emotional reactions, and they're kind of, you know, they're they're sweet, but they're also kind of... <laughs> well, you know how kids are when they have a crush. I really think that movie Coraline and Wyborn are a technical thing. They both seem like they might have crushes on each other. Because they kind of, like, tease each other and stuff. But anyway, it just allows us to see more of Coraline's range of emotions that we don't get in the book. So I do appreciate Wyborn being there even still. But... I am going to stick with the fact that I think the doll and maybe Wyborn's grandmother were both kind of, they were both kind of unneeded characters. They, they feel really sledgehammered in, not so much Wyborn, so I take back part of what I said, <laughs> um, because Wyborn needed to be there to show us more of Coraline. <clears throat> but as for the other two, they really could have just been left out. It just could have been that, like, Wyborn's parents live nearby. Then I'm sure they probably do, I mean, because otherwise he wouldn't so easily be going between home and his grandma's palace. Uh, well, set of flats, not really a palace, I guess. Pink palace, though. Um, so I guess it's assumed his parents do live nearby, but I really, really think that he didn't need to have a grandmother there that had this doll because <laughs> they just don't they don't fit in with what the Coraline story is they they do help enhance it I guess I mean the doll makes it a little like cuter and creepier but it really just doesn't add very much else to the story I think that, but that's just my personal thoughts um so I'll see y'all next week for another chapter of Coraline because I know this one sounded like the end, but it's really not. We have at least, like, two more chapters. And honestly, I think that Neil Gaiman, and this is just me saying this ahead of time. I'm not trying to spoil anything. I just want to say that I think Neil Gaiman could have made a sequel book to Coraline instead of just sledgehammering it into two chapters. And then there could have been another Coraline movie. But that's just me. Alright, well, see y'all next week for more Coraline.